My name is Caleb, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. Today, we're going to continue on in a series called The Flow of Justice, in which we're looking at what the scriptures teach about living justly, about what justice is, about how we apply it to our lives today. And I want to tell you one of my biggest gripes. Is that all right? This is more of a rhetorical question, I'm going to tell you anyways. So here's one of my biggest gripes. So I've been a pastor for, for a while now, and one of my biggest gripes about like American Christianity is this idea that, uh, oh, is that me? That's my second biggest gripe is when I mess up the technical equipment. Let's see, I don't know. All right, if it keeps doing it, uh, I'll just shout louder. So... My first biggest gripe about American Christianity is this idea that following Jesus is about saying a prayer so you get to go to heaven when you die. There's this highly individualized, consumeristic idea that, that centers Jesus around this question, is what's going to happen when you die? And we kind of ask ourselves that question, we fret about it a bunch, and then Jesus is kind of sold as the answer to the what happens when you die problem. And so we as con nice consumers, we kind of take that and try to apply it. But, but following Jesus is not primarily about saying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. You know, the, uh, Jesus actually wants you to follow him now, right? Like if you, and, and, I, and I don't mean to be like crass or anything, but like if you just read through the teachings of Jesus, it seems like he expects you to do the stuff and like be the way that he calls us to be. And then, and then he says things like, hey, I know it's really hard to do this stuff. And so I'm going to be with you always. Now, that includes eternity, but it also means right now, like Jesus is with us right now. And one of the things that Jesus consistently calls us to do is to live justly, to live with justice on our hearts. Another word that gets used that sounds super religious, but really isn't, it's this word righteousness. Have you guys ever heard the word righteousness? Now, we've, we've kind of over-spiritualized it, but the word righteousness, especially in your New Testament, it could just as easily be translated as justice. Just think about the word righteousness. What's the first, uh, what's the first part of that word? Right. So to be right, to be just, righteousness, justice, these calls to uh, living justly. In fact, uh, Jesus' brother James said this in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphan and the widow in the day of their distress and to keep oneself unstained by this world's systems. This call to justice is all throughout your Bible. Today, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 10 and a little bit in the book of Deuteronomy. And I would like to show uh, us collectively uh, what Jesus is riffing on when he calls us to live justly, to live righteously. I also would like for us to kind of continue the conversation we started last week around how we apply justice, especially justice as it's described and defined by the Bible, how we do that today. So I might actually draw a picture. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Don't get your hopes up, but we'll see about the picture. You guys remind me if I forget to draw you the picture. All right, so we're in this series called The Flow of Justice, and uh, I think I can put it up here on the screen uh, that we're in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 uh, through 2, 
So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If not, I've got it up here on the screen. So watch this. So this is Isaiah, who's a prophet. And in your Older Testament, there's a collection of books called the Prophets. And prophetic literature is not so much telling the future. A lot of times when we hear the word prophecy, we think just about telling the future. But prophets were not so much about telling the future. They were primarily focused on changing behavior now in order to avoid peril in the future. So they were kind of forth tellers. This is what the prophets would do most of the time. They'd show up on the scene and they would say, hey, everyone, listen up. God is really mad because y'all are misbehaving, because y'all are taking advantage of the poor, because y'all are living unjustly, because y'all are corrupt. And the prophets would say this, and do you know that that made people not feel happy? Right? Nobody likes a prophet when they come to town. In fact, what would end up happening to prophets most of the time, the ones who would speak, uh, 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 they would speak on God's behalf, is they would get run out of town. In fact, uh, one uh, commentator on the ancient prophets said that more than likely, at least in his understanding, uh, all of the prophets struggled with a raging depression. And I can understand why. Because everywhere they went, they said things like, hey, y'all, We're going the wrong way. And if we don't turn, this is the word repentance, if we don't turn from going our corrupt or sinful way, if we don't repent and turn back to God, it's going to end in destruction. And Isaiah is one of these prophets. But I want you to notice in Isaiah chapter 10 what he says we should be watching out for. Ready for this? Okay, let's be happy. We're, we're going to be happy about this prophetic literature. Ready? Okay, you guys are going to love this. It's going to be great. Uh, this is an, an inauthentic smile. It's going to be great. Okay, so no, notice this. Whoa. Now, Keanu Reeves is not helping us because what Keanu Reeves did is he did whoa. And, and this is not whoa. This is whoa. All right? So, whoa, like, watch out. Woe to those enacting what? Crooked statutes and writing what? Oppressive. Okay, so notice the language there, right? So, uh, those who are doing, they're, they're enacting crooked statutes and doing what now? Okay. An oppressive law. Now, some of us might be asking the question, Pastor Caleb, what is an oppressive law? Oh, what's that, Jeff? An oppressive law. That's great. I think, actually, Isaiah is going to talk about that here in the next verse. So, everyone, let's go forward. To keep, so, these oppressive laws and statutes that keep the poor from getting a, what's it say? Fair trial. And deprive the oppressed among my people of what? Deprive them of justice, okay? We've been talking about justice, okay? So, so that the widow's can be their what? Spoil, and they can plunder the what? The orphan. Okay, so these are unjust laws that do what? They deny the oppressed and the poor from getting a fair trial. They deprive the oppressed among my people of getting what is due to them by their rights. Or to put it another way, what God says is due to a person. So here's a law or statute that's depriving the oppressed from what God says is due to that person. That would be the category of an unjust law. Among my people, excuse me, (coughs) so that the widows can be their spoil and they can plunder the orphan. I want you to notice the categories of persons here. 
Let's see if we can notice the categories of persons. First, there's the what, the poor. Then there's the what, oppressed. Then there's the orphan and the widow. The widow, the poor, the orphan. Now, throughout your Bible, you are going to find that, there are, that these, these categories of persons are frequently coupled together. Usually, in, 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 if you want to get super nerdy, you know when you go to a party and people are like, let's play Bible trivia? You know when you do that? Okay, so I'm going to give you a clue for your next round of Bible trivia. You guys are going to love this. Um, so this is referred to as the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. You will find that the quartet of the vulnerable is frequently coupled together. And so here you have just a few of them. Uh, let me see if I, I think I might be loose here on the back of my... No, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, Sesame Street. Anybody, 80s kids, Sesame Street, here we go. Okay, so the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. Now, where is Isaiah getting this from? And I, did, did you guys ask that question yet? Where is Isaiah getting this from? Okay, so watch this. So we're going to go to the origin story of Israel. So Isaiah is a prophet to Israel, and we're going to go to their origin story. In, uh, we're going to notice this in Deuteronomy chapter 24. So Deuteronomy chapter 24, let me put it up here on the screen. One of the things that Deuteronomy is doing is reminding Israel about their origin as a people who have been redeemed or saved out of captivity in Egypt. So Pharaoh enslaved Israel, and then God redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt. And Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that's riffing on that theme. Okay, so this is Israel's origin story. So check this out. In this sermon, uh, it's attributed to Moses. In this sermon, you're going to notice a lot of similarities to the Isaiah text. Notice how he starts. Do not deny justice, justice to who? The immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. Don't, take, uh, don't deny justice to an immigrant, orphan, or widow. Do not take a widow's garment as security. Notice this. Remember. Okay, so TV timeout. God is calling us to live justly. God is specifically calling us to look at applying and make sure that our eyes are open to apply justice to those to whom justice is often denied. Specifically, the quartet of the vulnerable, which is the... the the, and the, okay, good. That's the quartet of the vulnerable. So what God says is live justly, specifically look towards those in your community for whom justice is often denied, usually because it's easy to ignore them, the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. And then we get to this question, why? God, why should we live justly with an eye to the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan? Now check this out. Here's what he does. He says, What? This is really critical. Remember. Why should we focus on justice? Well, remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God did what? Okay, so here is the tethering of why should I live justly? Should I live justly so that I can make God love me? No. Is the living justly in order to be a good person so I can go to heaven when I die? No. Here, what God is saying is, I've done a redemptive work in your life. I've redeemed you. Therefore, you live justly. 
and specifically make sure that your, your focus of justice is towards the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. Why? Because you were once slaves and I redeemed you. Do you see the, the logic of the text? Okay, so what is he calling them to do? Remember that you were a slave. Remember the work of God. Therefore, he says, I'm commanding you to do this. Let's keep going. When you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, I love this, don't do what? Okay, and every capitalist in the room goes, if only I had pearls so I could clutch them. Right? Wait, you mean don't maximize shareholder profit? Now, for all the socialists in the room, just notice this. Whose field is it? It's the owner's field. So here we have a direct confrontation with, two, with God's line of thinking and man-made reasoning. We have this huge battle in our, uh, in our cultural moment where everyone is yelling at each other, you're a socialist or you're a capitalist. And I just want to encourage you as a Jesus follower that where capitalism may, seems to proclaim that everything we have is ultimately ours, and socialism seems to argue that everything we have is for each other and so we give it all to the government or it's the government's, what God says is every Everything you have is mine. And so use it in service of others. So we are not owners, we're stewards. So in your field, if you forget the sheaf in the field, don't go back and get it. Why? It's to be left for the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. Okay. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Oh, this is really interesting. Here you have industry and charity and generosity all woven into one way of living, a just way of living. When you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, you guys know how that works? Okay, right? You know when you walk up to a tree and you punch it? Well, I guess you probably don't punch it. You probably use some sort of instrument. But when you knock down the fruit, tree, the fruit from your olive tree, don't go over the branches a second time. Or again, what remains will be for the... Okay, so this is talking about making sure that out of the produce of your industry, making sure that there is some for the quartet of the vulnerable. When you gather grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. That re what remains will be for the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. So here you've got the olive branch, you've got the harvesting the field, and then you've got the grapes of the vineyard. In all scenarios, what God is saying is, at the end of the day, whose field is it? Right? Whose olive tree is it? Right? Who, whose vine is it? Right? So God is claiming ownership. He's saying, hey, listen, you should be fruitful. You, sh you should be industrious. You should put your hands to work. But remember the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And the industry that you, the industry of your hands ultimately comes from the fruit of my stuff. And so here you get this logic of, okay, seek justice, how? Through generosity. Here you have generosity and justice combined. And then how does he end? Wait, okay, so God, why should I leave the olives and the grapes and the wheat well, remember that you were a slave. To put it another way, I could have left y'all as I found you. I could have left y'all as is. 
I could have left you in a space of despair. I could have left you broken. I could have left you alone. But I redeemed you. And because I redeemed you, I want you to remember. And out of that memory of what I have done for you, I want you to live justly. And specifically, live justly with an eye towards those for whom justice is often denied, the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. I want you to, Phil Collins sang about this song, or about this verse. Remember that, anybody? I remember, I remember. Okay, so listen, you guys need to dramatically change your musical tastes, okay? I remember. Is I'm a drummer, and that drum, oh man, that drum solo right there, it just is so good. Okay, so I want you to think about just for a moment. Okay, how do we do this? How do we live? Just how many of you have an olive tree that you that you that you hit frequently? Okay, uh, wheat fields. Anybody? Wheat field. Uh, I, I know some uh, vines. Right, we get grown in grapes. Okay, so how do we apply this justice? Right. So I want to draw a picture, okay? And, and I think this is very, very important as you think about when you read your Bible and then how you live today, okay? So let's go. Let's, I want you to follow me, okay? So I'm a horrible artist. Amen? Okay, and you're going to, I'll prove it to you. Watch this. Okay, so here's us. There we are. In, and what's, what year is it? 2020, I can barely remember. Okay, so 2022, and, and there we are. By the way, we're happy. Let me give a smile. There we go. Okay, so, and then there's our Bible, which was written before 2022? Yeah, so many years ago. Okay, so there's our Bible. Maybe we'll put a cross on the cover of it like mine. Okay, so there's our Bible. And when we read the Bible, we all of it, especially when we read like Deuteronomy 24 or Isaiah chapter 10, we realize we are time-traveling tourists, Right? Because we read the Bible and it says things like, leave, uh, don't, don't, um, don't harvest the wheat to the edge of your field. Don't go back over it a second time. Uh, we read the Bible and we read things like, um, uh, when you beat the olive tree, don't pick up uh, all the olives or, or, or leave some of the grapes for people. And we ask the question, what am I supposed to do? Right? I, I don't have an olive tree. I don't have a vine. I don't have a wheat field. So what should I do? And this is a crucial, crucial, crucial uh, uh, principle to notice. When we engage with the Bible, we are going back in time. We're, we're time-traveling tourists. We're in a different culture at a different time. If you've ever tried to read your Bible and thought, this is strange, correct, right? There is a lot of strange stuff because we're time-traveling tourists. So we're going to expect it to be strange to us and our modern sensibilities. But we go to the Bible and we engage the biblical text according to the logic of its narrative, specifically as we're thinking about justice, about leaving the wheat and the grapes, right, and the olives. But then we, we start thinking about, okay, well, what am I supposed to do today? And this journey entering into the biblical text and then coming away from that and then trying to apply it today, this journey right here is a long, perilous road. It's a long and perilous road ripe with opportunities to make mistakes. It's ripe with opportunities for misunderstanding. And here, here's my encouragement to you. 
is this journey is a humbling journey. To enter into the biblical text and then to say, okay, Lord, how can I live with wisdom and love today according to this text? And then we think and we pray. And as, the, as the, uh, one of the authors of the psalm says, I meditate day and night on the word of God. And here's why. Because the uh, instruction to leave some of the wheat, that's pretty easy to understand, I guess, if you live in that culture in that moment and you own a wheat field. But what about in your life? So we go to the, biblic- the, the biblical text for a wise, Jesus-centered, uh, loving wisdom that we can begin to apply and live out today. So think about your industry, the work of your hands. What does the principle of leaving the edge of the fields or not fully harvesting the vine, what does that principle of caring for and seeking justice for the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan, what does that look like in your life and in your industry and in your vocation. It gets harder, doesn't it? And this is why we need to read the Bible in community. This is why we need one another with different viewpoints than us. Uh, As Brent was saying earlier, we need as a bunch of misfits to engage the text together so that we can keep each other, we can encourage one another, we can lift one another up in prayer, but also we can kind of be like, um, oh, keeping each other in check. Uh, Do you know that it's easy to misapply the Bible? Super easy. In fact, uh, usually when you have a weaker point or a weaker argument from the text, you just yell louder. Uh, I want to encourage you, when you say the phrase, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, okay, which part of the Bible? Because the Bible says a lot of things. And are you sure that you're applying it appropriately? It's easy to put the Bible says just on our opinion and then yell and scream about it. Uh, one of my favorite things, um, I, I, I hear the word biblical used a lot. Have you guys ever heard this phrase? Like I'll hear people say like, well, I want a biblical marriage. And I've read the Bible and there's a lot of marriages in there and a lot of husbands have an awful lot more wives than they're supposed to. So like polygamy is a biblical marriage in as much as the Bible describes it. Is that what we mean? I don't think so. So we need to be careful. Just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean that it prescribes something. And it doesn't inherently mean that it's wise and loving. So this long journey, this long and perilous road requires us to seek humility and prayer, to engage in conversation with one another, and also to share with one another what we're learning. As we think about biblical justice, I want to encourage you to approach the scripture thinking through these three activities or these three categories, a principle, a posture, and a policy. What is the the biblical wisdom, the Jesus-centered wisdom about the principle of justice? What says that God is just, and so we are to be just as well. What's the posture? Well, the scripture continually says, make sure that you're looking for and looking towards the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. How do we do that in 2022 Phoenix? Does anybody have the answer? Now, there are people who say that they have the answer. There are even people who say that they have the answer from the Bible. 
But I, I want to invite you into a different way of thinking. I want to invite you to start with principle. The biblical text calls us to live justly. And then to move to posture. What's our posture? Well, it's towards the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. And then when you get to policy, how we actually live that out. To approach policy matters with humility, with prayer, in conversation with people who are different than you. And let me, let me encourage you in this. When you can find another Jesus follower who has different opinions on how to do policy, that's not a threat, it's a gift. That's not a threat, it's a gift. When we have disagreements with one another, it's a gift. When we're centered around Jesus, it's an invitation for us to grow, for us to understand more deeply about how we're applying the principle, principle in the posture. There are many ways to live this out. But I want to encourage you just a few, a few takeaways as we think about how to apply this today. Number one, to learn and discern. As we think about policy, I would encourage you to enter into a season when, when there's an issue that seems complex or there's an issue that seems hard to understand or there's an issue that's weighing heavily on your heart. I would invite you to spend a time learning and discerning. Here's what I mean. Think of an issue that's heavy on your heart. Think of an issue that you feel like as a community we just aren't engaging in. Consider uh, the different areas in which justice is denied, especially perhaps the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. And then enter a season of learning and discerning. So uh, groups like the Be the Bridge uh, study that's coming up soon that, that Brent and Don talked about are excellent opportunities. The Women's Peacemaking Conference, uh, Peacemakers Conference, which is coming up here in just a few, four, a few short weeks, is an excellent opportunity to learn and discern. We want to learn about the issue and we want to discern how God's calling us to step into that issue. And secondly, for some of us, as we think about how to enact uh, justice, it's acts of service. So coming up here in a couple of weeks, uh, we have two opportunities to serve with Phoenix Rescue Mission, uh, throwing, uh, I believe we're hosting uh, fall festivals on their campus uh, on select dates. And that's in the info for both of those things are in your bulletin. Uh, but it's also service through things like uh, fostering and adopting. A habitat for Humanity, or Serving with Hustle Phoenix. Learning and discerning, serving, and then, and I think this is critical. Do you guys remember, have you guys ever heard the phrase, the quartet of the vulnerable? Quartet of the vulnerable. I'm going to try to remember. There's four categories of person that God specifically says to seek justice for. It's, um, it's the, um, it starts with a W. It's the, um, the widow, and then the or, uh, orphan, the poor and then the, the, um, the immigrant. That's right, the widow, the poor, the orphan, and the immigrant. Okay, so as we think about how do we pursue justice for the quartet of the vulnerable, I want to invite you to consider your voice. I want to invite you to consider your voice as something to be stewarded. That your voice can speak in certain ways and to certain people that perhaps the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan, that their voice is being neglected. So this is a word that I would refer to as advocacy. If we live in a community in which there are laws or statutes that take, or practices in our companies or our schools that take advantage of the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan, that deny justice, we have a 
tremendous freedom, and I think also stewardship responsibility, to speak for those to whom no one is listening. To speak on behalf of those that no one is listening, specifically the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. By the way, is caring for like, let's just take the issue of the unhoused. Is that a complex issue? Oh, it's insanely complex. And anyone who tells you otherwise, I think is either trying to get money from you or trying to get money from you. When, when we take complex issues and try to make them simple in order to sell, we do an injustice. So you take the issue of like the unhoused, complex issue. We cannot allow the complexity of injustice drive us to apathy. The complexity does not give permission to apathy. And one of the ways that we can stand for justice, especially the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan, is to use the voice that we have to speak for them and on their behalf. Many of us are even right now asking the question, what about unjust laws? What are we supposed to do when laws are unjust? And that's an excellent question that I'm not going to answer today. In fact, I actually, I actually I'll give it a shot. Today after this service, uh, we've got a bunch of different groups that meet all across campus at our 11 o'clock hour, uh, but I'll actually be in here at 11 o'clock uh, to do a question and response time. So if you don't have a group to go to at 11 o'clock, I wanna invite you to join me back here. You go after the service, go grab a coffee and a snack and come back in here. And I will actually try my best to answer the question of what do we do around unjust laws? I'll try my best. Also, by the way, you can uh, text in any question that you want. There's a phone number in your bulletin uh, that you can text questions in. Uh, you can text the questions in, and I will do my best to respond to them. Again, that's at 11 o'clock here uh, in the worship center. As we think about principle, posture, and policy, we think about learning and discerning, serving, and advocating. And I want to encourage you, uh, as we've been talking about the prophets, that speaking on behalf of justice for the poor, the widow, the immigrant, and the orphan is what the prophets do most of the time. In fact, I would encourage you, when you go home and read your whole Bible later today, as I know you do every Sunday, pay specific attention to the prophets. Pay specific attention to whom they speak on behalf of as God's voice and mouthpiece to his people. Do you remember what God called his people to do after he called them to live justly. He said, live justly, look out for the needs of the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. And then what did he, why? Do you remember what he called us to do? Remember. As we think about justice and living justly, I want to invite you to remember. I want to invite you to remember Luke chapter four, verse 17 through 19. Jesus shows up at this uh, synagogue and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah from what we've read today. And as he reads from Isaiah, he reads a specific text. I'm gonna read uh, from Luke to you and I want to see if you notice anything familiar about this text. This is Luke chapter four, verses 17 through 19. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, Jesus. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Did you catch anything familiar in that text? Jesus shows up on the scene and in one of his inaugural sermons, he announces that part of his ministry is proclaiming the good news. But he doesn't just say good news. He say good news to what or to whom? The poor. To proclaim the release of the captives, liberty to the oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, or as some of you may be familiar, the year of Jubilee. Jesus saw in his reconciling and redemptive ministry not just good news for eternity, but good news today. Jesus recognizes that his ministry is redemptive and restorative, not just in the future, but today as his people, check this now, as his body lives justly and righteously today, as his body lives justly and righteously towards the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan, that is good news to the poor. And just as Deuteronomy calls us, I'm gonna invite you to remember. To remember what Jesus has done for you. To remember the redemptive work of Jesus in your life. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was yet rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. I'm gonna ask that you would reflect upon those words 